SPC Nation. Welcome back. It is time for another edition of your favorite weekly comic book podcast that stars a 40-year-old man, 40-something-year-old man, and a 20-something-year-old other man, boy, whatever you want to call him, whatever you want to call him. His name is Remzo Martinez, and he is here with me today. Remzo, what's up? It's the weekly tale of an elder teaching a young Latino boy to read. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I want I want to sound like uh, Gilbert Gottfried and do that one day. It's a story about an older person who takes a young boy, no pedophilia involved, and teaches this young Mexican to read. No pedophilia involved. Yeah, no, you're right. No pedophilia involved. It, it sounds like something Gordon Godfrey, uh, Gilbert I- Gottfried would say. I am very excited about this week's episode because, well, A, I'm always excited to sit down and talk comics with my man, Remzo Martinez, but also this this being the last Wednesday of the month, we are dipping into a slightly different format from our usual format where we look back at a, a work of comic book art from either that either Remzo or myself picks and we go through it very thoroughly. This is our monthly dive into everything comic book related, pop culture, etc., and it is called... SBC Potpourri. Honey, what's that smell? That's the refreshing scent of SPC Potpourri. Ah. Yeah, baby, that's right. We're in the big time now because thanks to our Patreon supporters, the people that fund this show, we can afford things like new jingles for our segments. Isn't that exciting, Remzo? We're just men of the people. You hear that? We're just men of the people. Indeed. So, uh, yes, the, our Patreon supporters are the lifeblood of this podcast, and I, I think it might be tight. We'll see when this thing airs. We may have another graphic novel or two to give out to our next patrons. Uh, so that'll just be running through the end of this month, but the next patron or two, depending on, you know, we're recording this a few days before it actually drops, so we'll see what happens in between. You will get a hand-delivered graphic novel if you join the Patreon at any level at all. That's right, any level at all, Remzo. Can you really beat that value anywhere? I mean, I don't know who else is just giving shit away like we are. I mean, for the price of a latte, you know, you could you could sponsor a child in like Uganda or something, or you could get what you actually want, which is more comic book and pop culture content. I mean, the amount of stuff we put out, like, come on, people, we're fighting with UNICEF dollars at this point. <laughs> Let's be honest, that kid in Uganda is going to just eat that eat that little, you know, package of like, you know, MRE that you send him and he's just going to forget about it. The kid in the video died 10 years ago, but comic books are still here. <laughs> exactly. Comic books are forever. Um, starving Ugandan children are just, you know, fleeting. <laughs> Finish that. I'm going to get off the Ugandan Finish children. it. Finish it. <laughs> Look, Ugandan kids grow up. Comics, comics never. You want to, you want to hear about a, for a total like first world problem. I, yes. I have Mark. Um, I, I'm a perfectionist. Like many of our listeners probably know, in case I haven't mentioned it before, I'm I'm a perfectionist. And when it comes to collecting certain things, whether I really, really love it or not, I feel like when I get involved in something, I either have to you know step out before I get too addicted or go all in. And one of my goals during 2020 was to collect every issue of Snake Eyes Dead Game. That's right. Rob Liefeld was back targeting G.I. Joe with the main man himself, Snake Eyes, and it was going to be awesome. And I can report after reading all the issues that Snake Eyes Dead Game was probably one of my favorite series of 2020. But getting it, as I've discussed on past episodes of the show, was hard because, you know, stores were sold out. 
Rob Liefeld was even late sending me a signed copy. Other things happened. I moved and I had to cancel my box at my other store and I couldn't get stuff mailed out. So basically it took over like 14 months for me to finally get every issue of this series. And I love it so much so that when Liefeld realized that he was late sending me my book, he actually autographed a second copy of the same issue I ordered with a variant cover, and I have it framed sitting across from me right now. So when I finally completed that series, I was just so happy. I was just so elated. I'm like, my life is complete. Nothing can get better than this. But like a few days ago, I was going on Twitter, and Rob Liefeld is one of my favorite people to follow. And he went ahead and put out a promo for the Snake Eyes Dead Game graphic novel. Now, did I know they were going to do a graphic novel? The answer is no, and the answer is yes. Because in the back of my head, I was living as if there was never going to be one. But because of the age we live in now, everything gets turned into a graphic novel. So as I saw that tra- that that little teaser trailer for the full, complete Snake Eyes Dead Game graphic novel, which is actually cheaper than if you I had gotten all the issues separately, um, and it also would have caused a lot less stress than me having to uh, stalk Rob Liefeld on Instagram, um, you know, it just kind of reminded me, it's like, you know, even though I could have waited, even though I probably should have, even though most people will have, my life is better because I did. Do you feel the need to also get the graphic novel, or is that no? Fuck no. That that, that that bridge is. That, I've, I've crossed got that bridge. Your with this <laughs> I I uh, I you know now that you bring it up, about six months ago, I pledged fifty dollars for his uh, Indiegogo special edition of Brigade issue one, and I have still not collected my. Indiegogo perk. So am I going to go ahead and go through the same issue again for 50 bucks? No. As George Bush W, as George W. Bush always said, fool me once. Well, fool me twice. We won't be fooled again. Shame on you, Rob Liefeld. Oh. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> Remzo's tumultuous relationship with Rob Liefeld continues. Stay tuned for updates on that. But before then, we're going to talk about, I just don't know how to quit you. We're going to talk about some of the things we have been uh, consuming in the pop culture world. And I think, where do you want to start here? Uh, I think it's been long enough now. It's been a few weeks since it's it's released. You and I have both seen it. And I think uh, both of our policies on this stuff, if you haven't seen a film in the first two or three weeks it comes out, you don't care that much. And it's okay to start giving spoilers. Granted, we will give a warning. So I think right now, not there's a lot to spoil, but there is something pretty big to spoil. If you haven't seen Venom and you don't want to be spoiled about something quite major that occurs in that film, Pause this podcast right now. Okay, we're back. We're back for the those that uh, those were trying to avoid spoilers. Um, but Ramzo, should we just do we even need to talk about the movie itself? Because I feel like the movie itself is sort of irrelevant. I guess we can do it. You can do a quickie hit on it. What did you think of just the actual the body of the movie of the film Venom? Before, let there be carnage before we get into uh, the uh, the events of the post credit scene. Carnage is dead. Carnage is dead. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Carnage is dead. <laughs> Not only is Carnage dead, but Venom eats him alive and then eats the, eats the symbiote and then eats um, Woody Harrelson, a.k.a. Cletus Cassidy. So, Everyone's dead. That's really that's really all you need to know about the movie. I, I will say just like my general thoughts. I think you summed this up. And I think you did a, a Patreon um, a special like a little non-spoiler review for the patrons. And I pretty much agree with what you said there. You basically said it's a stupid movie, but it's pretty fun. And if you take it as that, then it's then it's fine. I mean, I, I think that like some the only things I would say was just 
it went a little too cringe for me and in, in terms of like the over the top comedy, but I still ended up kind of enjoying it because at that point I had, in, I just embraced what the movie is so much is when Venom goes to like the open mic night <laughs> and uh, in the other body. And he's just like, you know, it's kind of just an absurd scene, but you know, I laughed, my wife laughed, my stepson laughed. So it did, it served its purpose. And once you just, once you realize this is a comedy movie, basically, I mean, it's a, it's a somewhat a violent movie, a violent premise, but it's kind of cartoony violence. And really it is just most of the, most of the film is like the, the comedic aspect of this tumultuous relationship uh, between Eddie Brock and the Venom symbiote. Um, but if you embrace it as that, heck it's short. It's, I, I loved how short it was. It was like very, a very harmless 90 minutes um, of, of most, Mostly fun until we get to the post credits when things get what they get weird. They get weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to not 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 to recap too much of what I said, but it's like it's a comic book movie, and I think one of my criticisms of a lot of films is that they, they they're 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 far too serious. And yeah, I mean, as much as I love the Zack Snyder films and stuff like that, uh, you know, sometimes they they go a little bit too much in one direction. Then you have the the inverse where you have some films like Doctor Strange, where Doctor Strange is a horror character. And they basically turn it into a, a light, like like Harry Potter, like comedy. And you know, for a film like Venom, the first one was a bit on the serious end, but you know, at the end of the day, it's a film about a guy wearing an alien parasite that, and he eats people. Just give us what we want and nothing less. And I think it delivered on everything that it promised. And when it came to the scene, uh, you know, I. I, I kind of knew it was going in this direction. Tom Holland was doing a little bit of a promotion for Venom. And I'm like, oh, maybe he's just being nice to his friend, um, you know, over over at uh, Sony. And, uh, you know, I was just like, maybe maybe he's teasing it just to get people to show up. Um, what, what's 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 the guy's name? The actor. Venom. Tom Brady, Tom, Tom Hardy, Tom, Tom Hardy, Hardy. Tom yeah, Tom Brady. Hardy. Like maybe because those two are like genuine friends in real life. Like maybe he's just being supportive. Are they? Are they like twenty years age difference? They, like, they've I mean, done. They've done other films together, like him and John Berthold. I mean, look at us. Yeah, they're probably the same. I am the Tom Hardy to to your Tom Holland. And it? maybe they're teaching him how to not spoil future Marvel projects. We <laughs> don't know. But the the end of the film, where basically Eddie somehow ends up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I even though I knew it was coming deep in my bones, I knew it was coming. There was nothing more gratifying than actually freaking seeing it. Yeah. So even though I had kind of spoiled it for myself, uh, almost purposely, like you kind of mentioned something and I, I had already heard the rumors, so I kind of figured what it might be. And I just couldn't resist clicking on a video that talked about it before I even saw the film. So I, I, I actually, I actually knew it was coming, but my stepson didn't know it was coming. And he's really kind of, in, he's like into this stuff, but doesn't know all the spoiler type stuff. So it was fun watching him go like what and see Spider-Man and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it, just to recap it for those that haven't seen it and are just using us as the source instead of actually watching it. Um, basically at the end, Venom is kind of on the lamb. He's kind of hiding out cause you know, the, the government's probably going to experiment on the symbiote or what have you. So they, they take off to some kind of tropical whatever. And we just kind of see them in this rundown hotel room. And it's kind of weird. They kind of mess with you a little bit because they're, you know, um, Eddie is talking to Venom and, and Venom is saying like, oh man, it, you don't even know half the shit I know. Like I'm a symbiote that has been around for billions of years across multiple universes. The, the amount of knowledge about things inside me like would blow your mind. And Eddie's like, all right, bring it on, show me. And he's like, all right, just I'll show you a little something. And then right when he says that, things start get weird. Like you see like things start shifting in the picture and then suddenly 
everything looks different around them. Like they're still in a hotel room, but instead of this rundown hotel room, it's like a nice resort type hotel room. And on the TV, we see essentially, and, and, and Tom Hardy and uh, Tom Hardy uh, and Eddie is like, you know, what was that? And Venom's like, Hey, that wasn't me. So it's like, it, they make you think it was something that he was going to, sh- that Venom was going to show him, but it just actually wasn't that. So it seems that right at that moment, and this is what I'm trying to figure out, which I guess we'll figure out through through future Marvel films is right at that moment. They seem to swip, swap, swap realities. And we see the news report that we see at the end of uh, Spider-Man. What's the last one called? I, uh, no Way Home Far from one. home. Far from home. All right. I always get these home home movies confused. So we see the end of Spider-Man far from home. Basically, we see the news report from J. Jonah Jameson, um, the same uh, J. Jonah Jameson as the, that we see in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. We see that news report that same news report revealing the identity of Spider-Man as Peter Parker. And then Venom kind of licks the screen and says, oh, that guy. So like even this Venom, at least the symbiote version, kind of has some kind of multiversal knowledge perhaps of, of Peter Parker, Spider-Man, or maybe it's kind of subconscious, but whatever happened through that, that swapping of, of universes, like the knowledge of Spider-Man and the fact that Venom is a rival or enemy of Spider-Man that that did seem to leak through. And so it does seem that Venom did come over to the MCU. The question is how, um, and I'm not sure how it's all going to end up working with the timeline because if, if they came over at the same time as the end of far from home, that would mean it would actually be prior potentially to the events of no way home, uh, and Peter going to Dr. Strange and whatever happens there, which also puts it before the events of Loki. Or actually, no, Loki well, could take no. place right after Endgame, which took place before that. But you see, the whole thing no, I think doesn't... Loki takes a place before all of this, sort of, depending on how you look at it, since it takes place throughout time. But really, the Loki story such a for that out. version of Loki starts in Avengers 2012 and when he gets taken out. So even though, yeah, I, I think that the timing of Loki is sort of superfluous. It can be wherever they want it to be. Um, so it's not clear if, if what, yeah. So what's not clear is what caused that multiversal shift. Was it Dr. Strange and Peter Parker, what they end up doing in uh, no way home, or was it the events of Loki and the killing of, of, um, of that version of Kang that ended up seeing the multiversal, you know, multi multiverse split or what have you. So it's unclear, but either way, something happened and, um, it does seem, I, I don't know. Do you think we're going to actually see Venom right now in no way home this soon? So Kevin Feige came out with, uh, Amy Pascal from, Sony and what they did admit was that there was collaboration for that final scene. So my big issue, and we, I think we talked about this last month is that I feel that phase four of the MCU feels choppy everything. And, you know, you could blame the pandemic, but I asked the more I begin to understand how the original release schedule was for a bunch of these things, the more I'm starting to think, I think they're kind of just laying things out, not knowing how they're going to organize it but they know what those things are. So once some time has passed and some other projects come out and distract people, then they will justify and maybe reorganize some stuff. And then they'll act like they knew what they were doing the entire time. But as of right now, my gut tells me that because of that very direct far from home tie in, I think it's safe to say we can see Tom Hardy in uh, no way home, which is out in like a month. I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket. I think Venom's in the MCU right now, and we're going to see him. Yeah, I think he almost has to be, especially if, if you look at some of those No Way Home trailers that, that came out. or is there Maybe there's only one trailer that actually came out. I don't remember. But there's one where a lot of people were assuming it was the lizard, and you see this big body in the background like come lunging at, at Peter Parker. Um, now, with this new knowledge... 
it kind of looks more like Venom to me now that I have that oh, idea. I didn't my even mind. think about that. Yeah, there, there's just one like it's one where you you briefly see a, a, something coming at Peter in the background, and people were p- p- prior to this, people were saying, "Oh, that's pr- I think that's the lizard," um, but now I'm thinking maybe it's Venom because we already have you know we have like basically like a villain from each movie to making up it seems making up the first five you know from the three Tobey Maguire movies, the two Andrew Garfield movies, so one more maybe that comes from an entirely different movie, that being Venom. Yeah, because. Topher, whatever his name was, Eric from that 70 show, Venom is not coming back. What if that's the Venom? They, they fuck with us and it's just Topher <laughs> Grace. You're like, oh, come on. Really? Honestly, like, that would be kind of funny. It would be funny. It would be a, it would be a hilarious swerve. I would appreciate and it. And then Tom Hardy's Venom eats Topher Grace's. Yes, that Venom. would be meta and awesome. Perfect. <laughs> What, is, what a time to be a fan. Yeah, it, it is a time to be a fan. That, that's for sure. I mean, it's just the fact that we're seeing, uh, and it, I mean, there have been rumors of a Sinister Six coming to this uh, Spider-Verse for, for quite some time now. And, you know, there's a couple ways you could do it. You could take the villains that we've already kind of laid the groundwork for. They kind of, you know, they, they reference uh, Scorpion, Max Gargan, I think at the end of, um, of Homecoming. We also have the Vulture there already. Maybe he'll even be back for that. Uh, although I, th- I believe the Vulture is supposed to appear in Mob- Morbius as well. Uh, so yeah. we'll see. But really the easier way, especially if, if we're getting into the multiverse here in Phase 4, seems to be just pluck these villains out of the multiverse. You know? And that seems to be what they're doing. And it, it, it is an easier way and kind of it's a more like... It's a more, I don't know if it's a more fan friendly way, but it's a more, it's a more mind blowing way. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it's going to make things really interesting. I, I feel like that somewhat cheapens the MCU Spider-Man though, because yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, this has been my criticism. Like he, he, he depends but hasn't the too MCU much Spider-Man been, been cheapened from the beginning, from, from the very beginning. And Tom Holland's released a statement a few weeks ago saying that they're tr- that when they filmed no way home, they treated it as if it was the last movie that they were going to do together. Um, now they, they've referred to it as a saga, the homecoming saga. So, I mean, I don't think they're definitely not ending it because I think there are a few more films on his contract and this kid's young. Everyone wants to make money. He's the golden goose. So I don't think they're going to end it, especially with this of all films. But I mean, I, I was just thinking about, they went ahead and released the, the title for, uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, the sequel, it's going to be called Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And, you know, everything about that movie that I liked, I feel like they're trying to apply it to No Way Home, but you you just can't. You you just can't. So, I mean, I think um, as Andrew Garfield, who may or may not be in the movie, I think he's secretly in it. He's just a bullshit liar. He said that he's afraid that fans will be disappointed, not because the film isn't good, but because they anticipated too much from it. What he knows about it, I don't freaking know. Maybe he's a liar. Maybe he's a lot of things. But I I think, um, you know, it's either going to be a movie that people completely love or it's going to be a film that because it didn't deliver everything we anticipated, people are going to hate it. I think you're going to see a very, very small middle ground that was just like, oh, well, you know, I got some of what I wanted. I didn't get some of what I wanted. I still liked it. I think this is probably one of the most hyped and I I would I would say overhyped films in in years. Yeah, I I think more so than the film itself, and I and I, I am pretty excited for it just because there's so much rumored about it, and so much of it is interesting to see how they deal with it all, especially with the possible addition of Venom in this movie. That I am just really excited to see where it all goes, and I'm I'm ready to just have fun with it and strap myself in, enjoy the ride, not overthink yeah. it too much. Um, more so, I'm kind of interested in to see how it leads further into everything with the multiverse and and how this sort of dovetails into Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness, uh, which is really rapidly approaching. Uh, there wasn't. That 
that long ago during WandaVision that it seemed like really far away because it seems like it's basically the sequel of, of Wanda's story or the continuation of Wanda's story. But uh, I, I'm sure this will tie directly into that with the inclusion of Doctor Strange and and everything that is go- going on with that. So what I'm really interested to see is how whatever they do in, in No Way Home and how that sort of coincides with the events of Loki and with the events of WandaVision, because it seems like all of those end up tying together uh, to bring us the multiverse of madness in, in one way or the other. And I think all of these characters are, are, I believe Loki as well is supposed to be in that film. So that's even before no way home has aired. I'm already kind of just pre-hyping myself for multiverse of madness. And I know you didn't love the first Dr. Strange movie. I did. I thought it was amazing. I, I watched it multiple times and I, I, it's actually one of my, one of my favorite like MCU origin stories. And I, I know we do differ on that one, um, but I'm really looking forward to the sequel. I mean, with all this, I mean, it's it's going to be another year for Marvel. They went ahead and pushed their slate back by about six months because of production issues, which I'm I, I kind of anticipated they would do that. But uh, I mean, it's I, either way, they're getting everyone's money. They're gonna they're gonna do fine. I can't say the same about DC right now. Kind of transitioning over there, um, I did do a summary of DC fandom, and what I can basically say is that it was a repeat of 2020, but with some extras. Um, and you know, as a, as a DC fanboy, this is not a great time for DC. And one of the things that really kind of, I, I think is a cautionary for Marvel as they're really jumping into this whole multiverse era of the MCU is they should really pick up some of the things that worked and didn't work from DC because DC through their crisis on infinite earths event on the CW with arrow, Supergirl. Um, Black Lightning, Flash, everyone else. I mean, they 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 basically got to the multiverse first on screen. Even though Marvel said that they were doing it, DC actually got to it first, at least on screen. And um, you know, while I think that's great, I you know I'm really looking forward to a lot of stories and stuff that are coming out. I'm also starting to see that you know when you overpromise, sometimes you can't underdeliver. Um, I feel really bad right now because the flash is about to start a five episode crossover event called Armageddon. And I see almost no hype for it. There was so much hype for the first couple arrow flash crossovers, like six years ago, uh, crisis on infinite earths was awesome. Everyone online was talking about it right now for Armageddon or whatever the heck they're calling it. People are just looking at it. Like, why are these shows still around? Yeah, I'm very much out of the loop on that stuff. I, I I was big on The Flash for about three seasons. I even got a little bit into Legends of Tomorrow. Could never really get into Arrow for some reason. Uh, and then I did dip back in for the Crisis event, which I found fun. You know, it was, it was fun. It was enjoyable just to see, like, you know, the anti-monitor on screen, you know, just their these interpretations of these events. I think they did as well as they could do with taking a really complicated story and and putting it into this into that universe. So I, that that worked for me. But it, it, it didn't make me want to stick around the WB-verse or whatever it's being called it just i think that 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 whole thing has sailed as far as my interest and i i was i mean i i I was obsessed with the flash show when it first came out like i would even be like on like message boards and theorizing about where things were going i mean i I got super into it but somewhere around the the fourth season or so it just kind of it just kind of dovetailed for me and it seemed like it was getting into a repetitive pattern especially when they started when they started to get into like the multiversal versions of some of those characters as well just they just kind of lost me there but i think the the first three seasons are, are just solid gold 
Yeah, and I mean, some of the other projects are also just kind of there, and they they definitely had their moments. But it's like Titans. Titans apparently the season just ended, and I haven't seen anything past episode four. I'm I'm gonna try and binge watch it uh, during Thanksgiving, as well as I still uh, have not watched past the uh, the the uh, the first episode that I slept through half of. And, and you see, I don't <laughs> want I don't want to say like it, it's because it's bad or anything. It just didn't really keep my interest, and I was like, you know, I, I'd rather just do some other stuff, and I'll get back to this later. That urgency to keep on top of it just wasn't there, and. You know, I, I, I gotta say Doom Patrol, which I still think is one of the best superhero shows on TV. I haven't watched the season either. So I think during the holidays, um, I'm going to go ahead and binge watch all of that with The Witcher. But I mean, like the only DC projects I'm really like excited for are, um, are the Batman with Robert Pattinson. That second trailer just looked sick. Uh, we finally got some footage from Black Adam. Which, I mean, for crying out loud, like if The Rock doesn't deliver on this, he should quit Hollywood because this film looks epic. He's been epic. hyping this for years. It looks epic as hell. And then, I, I know this might rub some people the wrong way, Harley Quinn is coming back for, for another season. It's the Kill Bang Kill Tour or something like that. That's what they're calling it. It, uh, it, looks, it, it looks hilarious as hell. That Harley Quinn animated series, which started on the DC Universe app and now is exclusive to HBO Max, is some of the funniest animation I have seen in years, and I, I'm so freaking excited for that. So, I mean, other than that, I mean, Mar- DC is just kind of there. Like, they announced, they showed Shazam, Fury of the Gods, some stuff there. They showed some stuff for Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom. Like, all of us just kind of there. They, they, apparently, they announced a third Wonder Woman movie, and everyone was just kind of like, okay. So, I mean, those films, uh, the whole thing just seems kind of flat at this point. Oh, and, I mean, just to kind of wrap it up, like, that Peacemaker series, I know we talked about last month. Um, man, I just, I, I feel bad for DC. Not excited about John, more John Cena as Peacemaker? I'm going to watch it. But I, I wasn't. Well, we like, know you're gonna watch it, Remzo. That was never in question. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm gonna watch it. I'm just, I, I felt like they didn't deliver what they said they were going to deliver with the Suicide Squad, and I'm not any more or less excited for, uh, for, for Peacemaker. I enjoyed his role in the Suicide Squad. I enjoyed James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, but. I just, I, I'm kind of with you. Like there's nothing that has thirsted my appetite for more peacemaker, but I will watch it. I like John Cena. I like, uh, you know, I like the character in theory. So I just don't know if he can justify his own series, but I guess we'll find out. Do you see the second trailer for the Batman? Yes, I did. Yeah. I mean, I, out of all the DC projects coming, the ones I'm most interested in are the Batman is the one I care about seeing the most. I think that has the most potential just as, as being just a really good Batman movie. Uh, and then when it comes to, uh, I am looking forward to the flash because cause I'm, I'm kind of curious how they deal with this whole thing. And look, seeing Michael Keaton in that bat suit again, you know, I, it gives me the willies just to think about. So I'm really excited about that, even though I, I'm not as confident that that will be a great movie overall. And I, I'm kind of curious how DC handles that whole thing, but you know, it's, it's, the the story of Barry Allen, the story of Flashpoint, uh, it's a story I love in the comics. So I'm I'm curious to see how they translate this uh, to the big screen because I think we're getting two Batman's in that. I'm pretty sure we're getting both, but I think within about a, a four or five month time span, we're going to get three versions of Batman. We're going to get Af- uh, Affleck, we're going to get Michael Keaton, and we're going to get a uh, what's his name, Twilight guy, uh, Robert Pattinson. Pattinson. Yeah, and then we can really compare them all side by side by side and see. My gosh, I mean, as as much as I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, like at the end of the day, this is such an amazing time to be a comic book fan. Like, my God, all of this, everything about it. 
I am also. I got. I got to admit, I'm. I'm actually a little excited about Aquaman too. I, I never would have thought it, but out of all those like solo DC movies, like yeah, it's not. It's not like a brilliant, you know, a brilliant film or anything. But I've been able to watch Aquaman a number of times, and it's always like a good like I can put this on and enjoy it. Sort of mindless movie that it it does. You know, it does the job. I'll put it that way. So I am kind of looking to see it, at, especially with James Wan directing, and he's you know a very imaginative director. I am just kind of looking even more so to the visual aspect of that film, and just to see the the different directions they go in uh, with that whole not as much Aquaman the character, but that entire universe because it really is like a whole separate universe that that they can explore. So I am I'm kind of looking forward to that one, even though it's a little further down the road. Yeah, I mean, I I've always loved the Conjuring films, and I mean, I I, I think Aquaman I have only seen it once. And it's not because I didn't like it. I that's just, surprising. Yeah, a, a, like a comic film that I have seen three or four times that Remzo has only seen one. I, I like Aquaman. Like I do want to watch it again. I always just happen to find something else. And yet you saw Wonder Woman eighty four three times. I watched the uh, Zack Snyder cut of Justice League every Saturday for four months. Okay, <laughs> every week for four months. Um, speaking of shows that you know. No one knows why they've been around for more than a couple of weeks. Uh, we we got to go ahead and talk about Batwoman really fast. Uh, the fiasco going on between uh, Doug Ray, whatever, and Ruby Rose and the rest of the cast of Batwoman really kind of reminds me that the show was trash from the beginning. I liked the first season. I thought it was actually pretty good for an action show based on a Batman character. Like it was, it actually did do a pretty solid job. But after that, with the recasting and everything else for the next couple seasons, it's just been trash since. And knowing that like all the cast hate each other, it's, um, it's, it's even like, it's even more fulfilling because the show has tried to appeal to a certain audience that are just not traditional comic book fans, not even inherently Batman fans. And Ruby Rose is accusing the, the other cast of being terrible. And all the other cast are accusing Ruby Rose of being terrible. It's just at the point where it's like, I look at this entire television show and I just think just fucking kill it. <laughs> like just kill it already. It's already dead to me. Cause I never knew it was alive. Apparently, apparently black lightning is still around. And I mean, the fact that Legends of Tomorrow is still a show that keeps getting renewed just surprises the shit out of me. So, yeah, if if you're a Batwoman fan, I'm sorry, but you got you got to put this thing down. You, you got to do it inhumanely, harshly and cruelly, because that's the only thing it deserves right now. So that that show features is going to be featuring two versions of Batwoman, basically. Is that, is that true? Yeah, you're going to see uh, Ryan Wilder, who's the current. Batwoman, and then you're gonna see the return of Kate Kane, Ruby Rose's character, with a different actress. <sighs> I don't even care about one Batwoman, let alone two. Yeah, like they had a they had a good thing for like five minutes, and then they fucked it, and now we're left with this, and it's just like DC, like come on, give it a gritty reboot, <laughs> do something else, throw it on HBO Max. This this is not working on CW. Well, speaking of reboots, I did actually, just before recording this, just last night, I did actually get out to see Dune. I don't think you've seen it yet. No, I am going to go see it in theaters tomorrow. All right, well, I'll keep this review spoiler free. And, you know, if you've seen the first Dune, there's nothing I can really spoil because I can't see, I can't really say there's anything new in terms of like dramatic plot differences. There are maybe a couple minor, minor differences. Uh, what, what I will spoil for people that didn't, didn't know, cause, cause I kind of wish I knew going in, 
I just hadn't read enough about it or whatever. I thought I was getting a complete film. <laughs> I didn't realize this was a part one. And now I, I've read about it afterwards. So this I will spoil because I don't want people going in thinking they're getting a complete movie because it does change how you look at it. Because I, I, the whole movie, I was like, I was enjoying it. Like it's the thing with this remake is like it's I can't really complain about it in terms of the production. Like the it's the filmography is is amazing. I mean, it's, it's actually absolutely beautiful film. The acting is phenomenal. Like everyone in it is just freaking awesome from Timothy Chalamet to Josh Brolin to uh, freaking Aquaman, Jason Momoa. Uh, I mean, the acting is just absolutely stellar. Dave Bautista is in there. Uh, I mean, but I, I find myself asking myself throughout the film, like, was this necessary? Like I already liked the first Dune movie and yes, the effects are better in this or, or updated or what have you. But I just, it, to me, like to do a remake, I need to see like something like that. It's drastically different. Maybe not drastically different, but but at least some kind of different angle to it. And to me, this just it fe- feels like a more drawn out version of the original movie with updated actors, updated effects, and and that sort of thing. And it's good on that level. I just don't know that I needed it. You know, I can go watch the David Lynch Dune and probably just be about as satisfied. Um, that being said, I do wish I realized it was going to be a part two going in because uh, I, I I was you know the whole movie. I'm like, well, this is this is good. This is entertaining me. Um, it's visually stunning. But I'm like, how are they going to wrap this up in 20 minutes you know and then then that's when i realized right when we got to the end i was like oh this is just a part this is just like the first it's basically the first half of the dune movie translated into this movie um and now that i've read more about it basically what they're doing is they're taking the dune book which was really condensed down into a movie basically they're trying to do that book more justice so stretching that out across two movies and then the third film they're doing is is one of the dune sequel books so so that's that so i would say if you're a fan of dune like i i mean I didn't dislike it. Like I liked it. I thought the acting and was, was phenomenal. Um, it was visually stunning. I just found myself thinking like, couldn't I have just gone back and watch the David Lynch Lynch movie again? So that's, that's my short non-spoiler Dune review. So big question though. You you said you saw this in theaters or you saw it at home? I went to the theater. Yeah. Okay. Were you happy seeing it in theater or were you like, you know, this was good, but I could have watched on HBO max. You know, the thing here, since I'm in Mexico, like, movie tickets are so much cheaper. Like it, it was like 10 bucks for both me and my wife to go see this movie on like a giant, like it's called like the Cinemax screen. It's not quite IMAX, but it's better than a regular screen, I guess. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I saw it in the theater. Cause you know, but if I spent 20 bucks each, maybe I wouldn't, you know, if I spent 50 bucks with popcorn and stuff as I would in the U S maybe I wouldn't be as happy. I can see but, that. Um, it cost me not that much more than staying home and watching on an HBO max would have cost. So, so no, I, I'm glad I saw it in the theater just cause I think, you know, a lot, a big, part of the appeal to me is the updated sort of effects and the, uh, you know, the updated visuals and, and that sort of thing. And, and again, I can't complain about it on, on a technical level, on an acting level, on a, vi- on a, you know, on a visual level. Um, and it, it worked for me. I just found myself a wanting the rest of the movie now and <laughs> not like, I, I guess I'm going to have to wait probably two years or something and B just thinking like, well, I don't know. Is this like what, how different is this than the first film other than updated actors, updated graphics, all of which were done well. So that's kind of where I am with it. I did it. I did enjoy it, but like, you know, my wife was like, eh, it was okay. You know, cause she's never seen the first one either though. So I think, I think it's, it feels more like Dune fans are more likely to appreciate this while also maybe more likely to ask like, why did we need this? Yeah. I mean, my, my big question for this right now is like, this is a, uh, th- this film is not going to make anywhere near the projected earnings they thought it was going to get before the pandemic happened. And while you do have some successes, like I think uh, Venom made like $200 million within the first uh, day of its premiere in theaters, um, and it hasn't even hit China yet or anything like that, 
it's one of the situations where it's like now you look at James Bond, where James Bond was exclusive to theaters, and they're like they're they're about to lose like I think um you know like fifteen million dollars under where they projected it would be before the pandemic. So even though they were going all in on theaters now, people aren't showing up for that. And the the big question is like with Venom, Veg- Venom was a low budget movie. It got a higher budget than the first Venom film but compared to compared to James Bond No Time to Die compared to Dune it's a very low budget film so the so the ceiling for profit was always going to be higher i think they were just happy that it's done as well as it has and you know good for them i'm happy it did but with you know James Bond not going to make much of its return with Dune you know, doing this, what we've seen is that this uh, same day screening and streaming thing, it doesn't really work. They've never been able to justify whether or not it's getting new HBO Max subscribers, whether or not it's taking away from the theaters or vice versa. I mean, it's like two parts of the same thing trying to fight against each other. I'm really wondering if big action packed cinematic blockbusters like this are coming to an end. And what we're going to see is we're going to see more hybrids of streaming and in theaters and ultimately stuff that's for a, for a condensed budget. Indeed, indeed. All right. So what, what else we got? You got any more news you want to talk to or should we get over to books? Let's get over the books. All right. Do you want do you want to take it away? I know you haven't you don't have that much new you've been reading lately. Yeah, it's been your, it, your constraints there. Yeah, I mean it's been a lot of the same things. Batman the Adventure Continues is on season two. I've got a stack there. The Brian Michael Bendis Justice League, which I don't think I'm going to be renewing that when that subscription is over. Uh, Superman saw Kal-El. There are two books right now that I, I think have kind of slipped under the radar and as reviews are starting to pop up, they've definitely got my interest. Uh, DC Black Label is back. I think, I don't know if these came out at the same time or if one ended and another one happened, but you've got two Batman-themed DC Black Label books. You've got Batman Reptilian, which is about some type of lizard killer or maybe Batman turns into a lizard. I don't know. It looks cool though. And then you've got Batman, the imposter and basically Batman, the imposter, which I think issue one came out last week from the time you're listening to this Batman, the imposter is basically somebody has stolen Batman's costume and they're going around murdering people. So now everyone thinks that Batman is murdering people. So Batman has to stop this copycat killer. But here's the part that really gets me interesting. If you look at the cover of Batman the Imposter issue one, the costume looks eerily similar to Robert Pattinson's Batman. So there's a rumor hmm. that Batman the Imposter is inspired by, or at least takes a lot of elements from the Batman film and apply it to this comic. So if you want to get a tone for the look and feel of how the Batman the movie is going to be, Batman the Imposter might be your first real look inside of this new Robert Pattinson era of Batman. So I am going to go pick it up today, whether they have Reptilian or not. You know, if I get it, awesome. If I don't, that's okay. But I definitely want to get my hands on Batman the Imposter before more people kind of jump on the bandwagon. Because I know I'm on the bandwagon. I can certainly assume that a few others are going to jump on it too. Gotcha. Well, that, that does sound like an interesting one. Um, as far as my books go, um, uh, there's a few that I've been reading. I, I think, honestly, the one I actually have been the most excited about and enjoying the most lately, uh, well, there, there's a couple, but one that has just really stood out to me is this Kang series from Marvel, this Kang the Conqueror series. Do you, do you know much about this? Is it a limited series or an ongoing series? I believe it is. I don't, I'm not sure how many issues it is, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's a limited series. Um, basically, what this does, this is uh, a book written by, who's it written by? No, 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 no. A guy. Colin Kelly. Or a gal. Colin Kelly. A guy. It's written by Colin Kelly. 
and uh, Colin Kelly and J- Jackson Lansing. Apparently, I guess there's two two uh, two writers here. Uh, but it's and the art is really great too. The art by Ca- Carlos Magno. And basically, this is like a it's the story of Kang of Nathaniel Richards, who you know it's still debatable. Maybe an ancestor of Reed Richards probably is has the same last name. Uh, but um, we basically see. A version of Kang, uh, a young Kang, basically, uh, get confronted by uh, an older Kang, a Kang that has sort of been through the life of Kang. And this older Kang, first he sort of mentors younger Kang, and then he also tells him, like, whatever you do, don't fall in love, because that was where I I made the mistakes. Um, And so, of course, young Kang ends up meeting, um, I'm going to spoil some of this, uh, meeting um, a version of Ravona Renslayer. Uh, The first version he meets is actually back in so they end up back in he, he kind of travels through Kang's actual Marvel Universe history so he ends up in ancient Egypt during the time where a version of Kang has come back as Rama Tut and during that time period he meets Ravona Renslayer who's also traveling through time and she is a version of Moon Knight in, in that in that timeline so that's really interesting of course he does end up actually falling in love because even though Kang told other Kang told him not to um, but then then Kang basically goes on his own journey and kind of travels to different points in the timeline of other Kang. So he ends up kind of jumping into the timeline where Kang is having his original battle with the Avengers from like the 1960s, um, ends up meeting Dr. Doom in there. Uh, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but it, it is just, I'm really enjoying it and I'm kind of enjoying seeing where it goes and seeing like seeing what version of Kang this actually is. Like, is this the Kang we know now? Is this just some alternate version of Kang or is this all of what in, went into is just this showing us the behind the scenes of what really went into creating the Kang that we now know in the Marvel universe. But you know, it was done. Obviously the timing is, is due to the introduction of the character in the Loki series. And then we're going to get this character, this more Kang version of the character uh, in Ant-Man uh, quantum mania. So that's why they're obviously you know doing this series now. Um, but regardless of the motivations, it's just really fun. It's really, really fun. I'm really enjoying it. I'm like a, a, a big Marvel history buff. So I, I'm always sucked into stories that kind of reference various points in Marvel history. Uh, so I, I'm just really enjoying it. It's just like, it's just a really fun book that I, I, if you're going to pick up a Marvel book other than the other one I'll talk about, I I would definitely recommend Kang. So you think they're trying to give Kang like the Dr. Doom treatment where it's like, he was like the big bad guy for a while. Now they're trying to make him more of like an anti-hero type of guy. Maybe semi. Cause I mean, the Kang in this is kind of the hero of this book. Um, I guess it just depends where he ends up going. I mean, he's not, not necessarily just doing heroic things. Um, but he's kind of, I, I guess he is because he's he's kind of battling he's battling like his his desire to be Kang and be the best version of Kang and and sort of battling with the this concept of love and how he keeps coming back to having to fall in love or, or meeting the same person to fall in love with and it is kind of like a love story within it's like love versus the power story and it's just and it's just done in a really fun way and again the art I think the art is like freaking awesome uh, like if I was just reading the art of this book it'd probably be like a four or four point five on on the SBC you know, at a five scale. So, um, yeah, I, I think they probably are in some way trying to just, I don't know if it's quite the Dr. Doom treatment, but maybe it is. Yeah. I mean, where they're giving the character a little more prominence as his own thing. Maybe, maybe that thing is not a hero, but maybe it is maybe more an anti-hero kind of thing to the point where we can at least put this character out there as its own thing that we can hope to sell. Maybe we can sell some Kang books. Maybe we can sell some Kang toys. No, we'll get a Kang animated series on Disney plus who knows there's so much you can do with this character. And it's not a character that 
I was ever particularly fascinated by. I always kind of thought he was like kind of a corny character, but for whatever reason, I, I'm just really enjoying this version of, of Kang that we're seeing. So I'm kind of curious where it goes. Part of me thinks it's just going to end up being like same old Kang, um, but it's, it's just not clear. And, that, and that's what's part of the fun of it. So well, whatever, whatever the motivation for it, whatever they're trying to do with it, it's a really fun series. So, I, I mean, especially if you're someone, um, you know, I'm not, I'm reading these in real time, but I think Marvel Unlimited is like three months behind. So I, I think this will be appearing on, on Unlimited any, uh, any day now. I feel like they've got to keep the momentum of interest on Kang up because now with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, which is the next time we're going to see Kang in the MCU coming out in 2023 Unless now. Unless we see him in Multiverse of Madness, it would certainly make sense. Uh, John Majors is not part of the cast list for that. People did ask about that, so I'm sorry to kill your dreams on that. But, you know, I, I, I am happy to see a publisher lean more into their villains. Like, you know, when you look at Marvel, who they really have is like their top tier people who can like stand in their own type of series. You've got Loki and you've got Venom. And with uh, DC, I mean, they've definitely leaned into that a hell of a ton. I mean, Harley Quinn is so popular. She's been in movies more than Wonder Woman has, which is crazy if you think about it. And then you've got um, you've got Black Adam coming out and we've already had Joker. And I think Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is already greenlit for a sequel. I think they they touched on that a little bit. So, I mean, you got to give the villains some love. And for a series like this, I'll probably check it out in, in trade paperback when it's done, if you like it at that point. I'll probably check it out then. Yeah, it's definitely definitely worth checking out in trade or Marvel Limited or whatever you know easy access way you guys have after the fact. Uh, the other Marvel book that I have just wrapped up that I know you didn't finish yet, so I will not spoil, uh, but we can talk about it in, in a generic way because I, I know you've been enjoying it too, is Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk. Uh, I just read the issue 50. I think it just came out this week, kind of hot off the presses. I, I grabbed it and did not disappoint uh, it's actually i mean almost intimidatingly long uh, usually when you get these big kind of like finale issues and you see it's really long like this is 96 pages remzo oh, wow. usually it's like oh yeah i mean it seems intimidating but usually uh, uh um you know a book like that it's 96 pages but then you're like oh it's 30 is the real story then there's a uh, two backup stories and there's some art in the back no this is a 96 page story like it's the whole book is the story and it's and I never got bored. You know, I mean, I think I, I've never gotten bored with this series overall. And if you have been enjoying Al Ewing's Hulk, if you've been enjoying this exploration into the concept of the green door, the sort of uh, the supernatural aspect of how they tied this all in um, to Bruce Banner, to the whole gamma radiation, they've really turned this into like a supernatural horror story. And again, as we have seen with Peter David's Hulk uh, way back in the past that we, we talked about that uh, in one of our very early episodes, um, you see you see the different per- personalities of the Hulk kind of interacting with each other through the green door and coming to a resolution of sorts. So uh, I I do know that we're getting a little bit of a a flip-flop after this, uh, where Al Ewing is going to, you know, he's done with the Hulk and there's going to be a new Hulk series uh, with written by Donny Cates while Al Ewing goes over and writes the new Venom book. And Frankly, with both their track records over the last year, I think that we've talked about it several times. Donny Cates' work on both Venom and Thor has been, you know, pretty much one of the highlights of Marvel other than Immortal Hulk in the past two years. Those are really the only books, and, and, and of course, this Kang book I've been talking about uh, that have really drawn my interest as far as Marvel goes. Um, and I, I'm, I'm excited to see those guys flip books because I think they're two of the characters that have interested me the most, even prior to this last couple of years. I mean, the Hulk has always been one of the characters that has fascinated me the most, largely because of the 
exploration into the multiple personalities and um, and Venom as well. I mean, Venom, Venom is similar in that aspect. Like Venom is a, a constant sort of personality clash uh, between you know between Eddie Brock and the symbiote, and now now Eddie Brock is actually the King in Black, which adds a different layer to it. While I think we've talked about it on the show before, but spoiler alert: if you didn't read uh, King in Black yet, um, yeah, Eddie's son becomes sort of the new Venom, while while Eddie is like the the King in Black, essentially the sort of the master of the symbiote. So I'm very curious, especially seeing how creative Al Ewing was with how he, he handled the Hulk character. Uh, I'm just really excited to see how he goes and, and handles the Venom character. Cause um, if, if his work on Immortal Hulk is any indication, whatever he does, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be inventive. It's going to be creative. And that's all I really can ask for from these, these companies that are mostly turning out generic bland crap right now. So when you can find these gems and these certain writers that really can take can put very unique takes on very old characters. I mean, that's the kind of thing that, that sucks me back in. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to from Marvel, basically finishing up Kang and then, uh, and then, you know, we're seeing what Donnie Cates and Al Ewing do flipping, flipping their roles on those two books. Well, th- those are definitely two writers that I think Marvel should definitely, uh, definitely keep for as long as possible because the bullpen is a little scarce these days, as you mentioned. Indeed. Indeed. Well, Mark, that's, that's basically, that's all I've got today. Well, the, the only other thing I want to discuss, I want a couple more books I want to mention uh, before we wrap up here, though. One of them, because we've touched, we've touched on this a few times over the past few months, and it has provided me both entertainment and confusion, as Grant Morrison books often do. But I did just finish, and by finish, this was like Dune for me, man. Like, I didn't know. It's like the opposite of Dune. Dune, I didn't know I was getting a second movie. This, I didn't realize it was so short. Uh, maybe I should have just looked in the corner because I think it t- did say one out of four issues the whole time. But it's Superman and the Authority just finished up, and it was only a four-issue series. For some reason, I thought it was six or eight. I don't know. So it, it seemed kind of short. But I think one thing we've discussed uh, whenever we brought this book up is, like, where does this fit in the timeline? Well, it's finally quite clear where it fits in the timeline because at the end of this book, um, as you discussed, where you, I think you discussed this when we were on Lions of Liberty last week talking about uh, the whole Superman thing, um, that now this actually leads directly into Superman leaving earth and going to war world. Like they're literally doing that at the end of this episode with, uh, and there you go. Episodes issues. It's wow. been a while at the end of this issue. Uh, they're actually about to take off and go try to liberate war world. And then it even says continued in action comics. Number one thousand. Oh man. So this is direct continuity. This is direct continuity, which was it was confusing a little bit before. I think what this was supposed to be, not, I, I, I had misstated before that this is supposed to be a future state book. This is actually supposed to be a 5G book. 5G got canned, basically, so that's why it was kind of tough to figure out where this fit in. But now it's very clear this does fit into current continuity. Superman has formed this authority team, and they're going to go take off and do a thing on War World, and you can see that in Action Comics. So there it is. Spoiler alert. Oh man! So you gonna continue with action, or is this kind of the end of the road for no, you? No, I'm no, I'm over it. I mean, it, it was interesting. <laughs> I mean, if if I, I, I think I saw somewhere that they're gonna come back to this with like Superman, Batman, and the Authority, also by Grant Morrison. So I might check that out. Um, I don't care enough to see another writer go deal with this Warworld stuff. I just I don't care. So and maybe I will though. I don't know. Are you gonna? Are you still reading either Superman book? I'm reading Superman, Son of Kal El, because I because I'm still getting it in the mail and listen, I'll, I'll, I know we, we touched whether or not I was going to touch on it. Like we we've discussed it enough on, on this and some appearances we made recently here. here here's the one thing I'm going to say. And this is the last time I'm going to say anything about it. I, I like John Kent as a character. I like Tom Taylor as a writer. I want this series to succeed. But as I told one of our fans in the second comics fan zone, 
I can't firmly tell you what's going on. There's really no story. There's obviously him coming out in his, you know, new sexuality, but otherwise there's been a lot of lead up for John. We've seen him literally grow up from a child to being the new Superman. And I feel right now where they should have been hit, hitting the grounds running, they fell down on their face and I don't know what's happening. And it, bothers me because I really like this character. I've invested time in getting to watch this character over the many years. And I feel like I'm not getting the type of excitement that I should have gotten from seeing him finally appear as Superman in his own book. And I think that's basically just lazy writing at the end of the day, because if you wanted to make a story about Superman coming out, you could have at least made it interesting. And it's not even that. It's offensive to readers. I think it's patronizing to the people you're trying to get to read this comic. And, you know, one of our fans brought up that this is on back order. They're doing a double printing and everything else. I think what's ultimately going to determine whether or not this succeeds or not is whether those people who are jumping on just to get this issue of Superman kissing his boyfriend is whether or not they'll actually stay on and continue to read the series further. Because if it pays off, awesome. I want it to. I like this character. I like this writer. I'm invested in this book. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a monthly subscriber. I'm not canceling my subscription. I want to see where it goes. But I'm not happy with it as a guy who still buys print comics. Mm-hmm. And I just wish I would be respected with a little bit of the minimum I expect from writers, especially if somebody who's so as phenomenally talented as Tom Taylor. What if Jonathan Kent had come out as Puerto Rican? Would, how would you feel about that? I don't think you could choose to be Puerto Rican. As Latin, why not? <laughs> you could choose to be anything, Remzo. It's 2021. We, we create our own destiny. Well, he's choosing to be Superman, and he's not, he's not identifying as a really good one. Hey, man, I might choose to be Puerto Rican sometime in the next few years. No taxes, man, if once, once you're set up over there. Well, there you go. It's appealing. No, but I mean, as, as both of us have said, whenever these sort of, I don't know, these sort of cultural issues come up, um, it's, it's never, the issue is always comes down to, is there a good story here? Does the story have heart? Does it make sense? That's all we ask. I, I, I don't think either of us oppose comic book companies trying to reach, you know, more modern demographics and that sort of thing. That actually makes a lot of business sense. What is offensive and, and to people just, I mean, I, is when they're just trying to patronize. When they're taking something, there's not a developed story. They're just saying, "Oh yeah, we want to we want to cater to this crowd. Let's stick this on this character. Let's stick this on this character. Um, let's make Riri Williams the new oh, Iron Man." I gotta bring, you gotta bring up Riri. Come on, <laughs> you gotta. Um, it, it's it's it always comes down to the fact that you've shoehorned this thing in to score points with certain demographics instead of creating an interesting story with heart that will then naturally attract people from those demographics and other demographics because it's a good story firstly not secondarily or maybe not at all and i think that's for for both of us that is the issue never the actual you know whatever thing they're trying to score points on it's the way they're going about it yeah i mean comic books are for everybody and i you know i love the the various degree of stuff i mean if you want like good lgbtq books but they are like actually good stuff image has that dc Mm -hmm. has put out YA novels and stuff like that. It's not like there's not enough variety. The problem is, is when the source itself is trash. I trash shows all the time. I trash comics all the time. And I'm consistent with why. Because the art sucks, or the characters suck, or the stories suck. Beyond that, just entertain me and put a good story and show you did it. 
This is why I trust Tom Taylor. I loved Injustice. I loved um, Deceased. I've I've been a Tom Taylor fan since he was back at Marvel when not a lot of people liked him. I liked him even then. So I, I've got faith in his ability. I just don't know what's happening right now. And I'm hoping that he'll surprise us all and give us a great story. But right now, it's like five issues in, and I don't feel like I've gotten my money's worth. So that's, that's the last I'll say about that. Time will tell. Time will tell. Um, but that's about all we got, I think, for this week. A little bit of a, a shorter uh, episode than normal. Uh, but guess what? That just gives you more time to check out all the great content we have over on the Second Print Comics Patreon. Remzo, do you want to tell them what they could find over there? Folks, for as little as $5 a month, that's like half a Nigerian child you could sponsor. You go ahead and get you, you get Remso. <laughs> I thought he was Ugandan. Eh, whatever. whatever. You go ahead and you get Remso rants. You get early, rele- early commercial-free uh, releases of the show. Um, for 15 bucks a month, you can hang out with Mark and I and other fans on Zoom call, which we have to schedule for October. We've got so much stuff going on. And what I love is going to a comic book store and picking up hardcover graphic novels to send out to fans for epic crossover level and above. That's where you get to build your library and you actually get to connect to so many other people. Uh, I mean, for the full list of stuff, go ahead and just check us out at patreon.com slash secondprintpod. That's patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Indeed, and I'm just going to promote this new show now that I have not recorded yet, but by stating it publicly, it will force me to do it. But I did actually just read, uh, we're doing a little thing called What Mark Missed. And this is where I go to Remzo and say, hey, recommend me a run of this from this company or this time, because as, as we've discussed many times on this program, I had a bit of a, about a close to decade long dark period where I just wasn't reading comics. So there's a lot of stuff I miss. A lot of that stuff we do end up talking about on this show. Um, but this particular run that I, that I just finished up reading, which I really enjoyed, spoiler alert, but I'll get into more detail about that on the Patreon show, is Warren Ellis's Thunderbolts run that I had heard about, knew about, and never read. So that's what I dive into for the first episode of What Mark Missed and you can get it over at exclusively on the second page. Well, folks, that's all we've got. As always, remember, if there's one thing you need to take with you, across town, over the street, and into the stars, it's read comics. And change the world. Change the world. Good night, America. Adios. Adios.